Good evening. I'm hoping this would be my last uh, Christmas Eve here. Uh, by God's grace, uh, in a reflective service, I really want to hear from the members of the congregation during this type of a service. As we approach uh, our devotion time, uh, this is simply something that it's personal to you and I. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he is your Lord and Savior, then you are eligible to have a reflection on Christmas and why that would be the case and the truth of your life. Uh, this year we started a little bit late, um, so I think on Sunday mornings we uh, started with only um, a three candles, but normally there are about four. I will uh, light for us, I guess, uh, the candle of joy first. And <clears throat> if we are to think about why do we have joy? Joy, it is not something that you can achieve on your own. We as people are very good at achieving happiness. And happiness is that which pleases self. And many people are happy for many different reasons. Joy is not a gosh ho ho jolliness. The reality is that joy cannot come from self. The birth of joy in our life as it relates to Jesus Christ, and that's why we lied a candle of joy is that joy it is simply an outer expression that you are loved inwardly so when you know Jesus Christ and you know that he loves you and when he dwells within you and you feel loved by him it is out of that reality over time that a lasting joy will begin to invade your life. Hint, hint, joy and thanksgiving, thankfulness, it is one of the signs that a pastor looks in one's life to see if they're truly born again. Why? Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness relies with self. What about joy? Is joy bound to circumstances? No. Is joy bound to anything from the outside that can influence you? No. Joy is something that can only truly be met and have in your life if it is birthed within your heart. There was a brother in one of the churches where I grew up. He used to greet everyone during Christmas and say, don't miss the joy. 
This is the joy that we have that not only lasts for one night, not only lasts for one year, but it will carry you throughout your life. You say, well, how, how do you experience that personally? A vital thing of having a relationship with Jesus and walking with him is that you don't have to be smart or have knowledge to experience this. But as you walk with Jesus, he tells you, deny self. And in this process of denying self, you will begin to find joy in your life. Joy to the world, for the Lord is come. Jesus also brings us peace. Now, in our relationship with God and with Jesus Christ, how is peace an element of Christ? First, let's try to identify peace. What is the definition of peace? Many people will begin to tell us, well, to have peace is to have absence of disagreements, arguments, friction. And it is funny how I have noticed that people who do not know Jesus, they can only find definitions to, to godly realities in the negative because the positive is absent. Peace cannot be experienced unless you have truly experienced the Prince of Peace and the one who gives us peace. If I look around, one of the pain that I constantly see in people's lives is the ache for peace. Peace in their families, in their workplace, within their own soul, their struggles. There's this tension and this fight. A biblical definition of peace is to be in complete harmony. Good luck with that on your own. To be in complete harmony. The Lord is looking and is grieving over Israel. Peace can be at a global scale. There are wars around. There's friction. Everywhere you look, cards and billboards, it shows us that we have a longing for peace. In Jeremiah 8:11, the Lord says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
such a beautiful image here of why Jesus is the Prince of Peace is because the Lord is telling us anyone without Christ is a wounded person. And you and I have been wounded by sin. The reason why there's no peace is because there's a spiritual wound affecting the members of our soul. Which put us in enmity with God. And that's why there's nothing more wonderful than when Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior and you receive that forgiving peace from Jesus Christ. It's one of the most wonderful experiences that you can ever experience in your own life. Because of this wound. Unfortunately, there are people that still fight with this problem of peace. Whether it is a wound within their soul, a struggle, whether it is something that it's affecting them from society. Sometimes it's simply a wound where Jesus has not entered in. Peace. Why is it hard for us to achieve peace? Is because peace stems from the character of God being righteous. It is impossible for us to have peace because we first have need to have a righteous relationship with God. And then people say, well, with one another. But I tell you, do you know what the second biggest problem is? Not just a righteous relationship with God, not just the righteous relationships with one another, but you also need to have a righteous relationship with yourself. Many times people don't have peace because there still is a wound present in their own life. There's a wound that hasn't been healed that hasn't received this blessing of the Prince of Peace. So that's why we celebrate our Lord as peace. Because he is the only one that can put broken pieces like us together and heal the wounds that have lasted with humanity ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. The Prince of Peace should be at the center of your life, but the proximity of your spiritual well-being is a mirror of what type of peace and how, it, how peaceful is your soul before the Lord. As we move on, we can go to the next slide. We see that Jesus is also our hope. 
So we light the candle of hope. Now, do you think there's a lot of hopelessness out there? Do you know that there's even more than hopelessness out there? What's more common than hopelessness? People putting their hope in in themselves in wrong places. I call that false hope. Authentic hope is not easy to come by. Yet, when I speak with people, I notice that hopelessness is profoundly intimate to each one of them. Hopelessness is profoundly intimate. And I know this from the Lord that the intimacy of our relationship with Him is also proportional to the, to the life of hope that you and I have. It is profoundly personal. People place their hopes in careers, in financial planning, in their own abilities and talents, in the ways of the world, in their own dreams. Longing for things to happen as they have dreamed or they have planned. Have things happened the way you've planned? And even for the very few that have, they found emptiness into those dreams. Circumstances, people, our own selves... Things of this world, they are not reliable resources of hope. I hope that you know Jesus because the hope that Jesus gives is more than just wishful thinking. The one that he gives is vibrant in pain. The hope that he gives is consistent in grief. It's unflagging in life's pressures. And you say, well, pastor, how do you get that hope from Jesus? I know him. I have come in my own personal walk with the Lord to realize the way Jesus brings hope in my life is with two basic convictions. Number one, that God is in charge. Please note that you can't separate hope and peace very far. And number two is that he intervenes. That Jesus intervenes. Your wound, yourself, will throw things to make his hope shake. 
The world will throw things. The doctor may throw things at you. Why do we call it not just hope? What do we call the hope that we have in Christ? A blessed hope. Why is it a blessed hope? Why is it not wishful thinking? Because he rose from the grave. Because I know that I am loved. Because he came while I was an enemy in my spiritual wound, an enemy to God. To make peace with me and God. To love me and to bring joy to me. To tell me that he's in charge. And that he intervenes and to reassure me. By dealing with the sin arising from the dead. I remember a professor many, many years ago that I had uh, an Assemblies of God professor, a Pentecostal professor from Finland in systematic theology. And um, during communist USSR, he went to a children's hospital in Moscow. And the head of the hospital, the director said, watch, he got his staff around and said, watch, I'm going to make this guy be an atheist by the end of the week. So every day he came, he took him into those, those wings of hospitals where the kids were dying every day. And he would watch him through the monitors, walking down the hallway. And after the first day, the director was very uneasy. And after the second day, he was agitated. By the third day, he couldn't look him straight in the eye. He wanted to punch him. Thursday, he avoided him. Friday, he saw him walking on the hallway. And he grabbed the professor from his chest and slammed him into the hallway. And he said, how can you possibly come in this hallway and smile and say hi to everyone? Can't you see kids are dying you around everywhere? And he said, as he slammed me into the wall, you know, I was trying to, you know, he was a bigger guy than I was. You know, he's fairly short, Dr. Karkanian. And he said, you know, because I have hope for them. There is hope for them. Guess what happened by the end of the week? It was the director that began to realize I live in a life that's hopeless. And he started searching for hope. Well, aren't you glad that no religion in the world can give you the assurance of a blessed hope of someone who stepped down into our realm, into our liking to deal with sin and to defeat death in reality, not in stories, not just written on a piece of paper. 
but in truth. As we now move away from Jesus being our hope, Jesus is also the light of the world. And I put a video since we didn't really do this together just to have four. And if you could please watch this small video on Jesus being the light of the world. You can go ahead and play it. A brilliant light pierced the darkness on that first Christmas night. It wasn't the immense star so bright that intrigued experts of the night sky to follow it. It wasn't even the multitude of angelic messengers with a light so intense, so radiant, it frightened brave shepherds to fall to their knees. No, this light was far greater, more powerful than every star and every sun. This light was a baby, a tiny newborn wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger where animals feed. A baby named Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Because Jesus was a gift for each one of us, and he arrived with a purpose, to shine light into all dark places. You see, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. A light that shows us there is no place you can go that can escape God's love. No dark corner where his love cannot find you. A light that has the power to cut through any darkness, to calm the most anxious thoughts, and to fill every heart with unspeakable joy. There is a light that shines brightly in the darkness. And his name is Jesus, light of the world. Before you come up, or we will pass around the light of Christ, by lighting the candle, this is not just an event that you do, but it is a proclamation of the reality of who Jesus is to you. It is a proclamation that you and I live in darkness, in a dark world. That you and I, at one point, have been wounded by the spiritual sin. But the light of life in Christ indwells in us. Today, we proclaim his birth because it is a reality in our soul, and by faith, it is our peace, our joy, our light, and our hope. And that's why we light the candle, to proclaim this to a dark world.
Let's bow our heads and receive a benediction. And now may you go forth in the name of our Lord Jesus, knowing that he is within you to love you, that he is behind you to carry you when things are tough, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over you, and in front of you to show you the way in which it brings him glory and honor as we serve him.